No. You've got it. I've got it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for that. Good morning, friends. Good morning. And Pastor Zoe. <laughs> you want to come and join me here? Look, folks, I'm delighted. Uh, my wife and I, my wife is here. We are delighted to be with you this morning. And I've been really looking forward to coming. And um, good for Jim. He has already finished preaching, probably. Wow. But then the pressure is on me. And um, I said it to folks, I'm old-fashioned, so you can see I don't have all this on my note handwritten. And someone said to me, I like that, I get that, so I'm like that. So now, um, I don't know what Jim told you, and it's a good friend of mine, and I don't know what he did not tell you, <laughs> but probably one thing he did not tell you is this, he should have told you to bring your own packed lunch. <laughs> because I'm going to speak, 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 speak until like, uh, wow, we needed to eat. The other thing which he did not tell you, when we were preparing this, and he said, Abby, I give you permission just to go and rock the boat, wreck everything, and when I come back, I just pick up all the pieces. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, that's very dangerous. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's really absolute delight and absolute joy to have this opportunity to, to just cement our unity in Christ and be able to come. And so thank you so much for your warm welcome. And can you put me already in that newcomer's lunch? <laughs> I'm a newcomer one, so I'll just come in. Um, I, I, it's great. Jesse, where is he? Oh. Yeah, he's in the back there. Um, now, let me say right at the beginning, just in case you doubt that the Lord is not among us, I can reassure you this morning, by God's grace, that God is among us and he is at work. And you'll see that later on because these pieces of music, I wasn't in touch with uh, Jesse and the team, even Kathleen, we just bumped into the office. So we just kind of like left it like that and see where the Lord leads us. And I have to say, when we're planning this and when I was uh, thinking and praying, I got to listen to the brilliant sermon that Kathleen preached. Actually, the Sunday before I preached on the same passage, I thought, she should, I should have just gone before and steal everything. <laughs> uh, that was brilliant. And then I start, started getting some sense where is the Lord want us to go? Until Thursday, I was still not clear. I went to St. David Center where we have a service, and Jim said to me, what are you going to preach on? Because I already knew his passage is going to preach there. I could see the interaction on email. I said to Jim, Jim, 
I'm still, I'm still waiting. And he says, a good place to be. And so I decided to go in the office and listening out to his sermon last Sunday, which was like casting the vision. And as I sat down, what I heard from uh, the Lord as uh, Kathleen was preaching and from what Jimmy was saying. And when particularly Jimmy pointed one of the things which in his sermon he says, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I started getting the sense that maybe that's where the Lord wants us to build on this Sunday. So that's why I said to Jesse and all of you, even that last song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. That's the title of the sermon this morning. <laughs> Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Maybe I should just stop there. <laughs> sermon done. And so I start getting that, I thought, Lord, now, which passage? And I was led to one of uh, the very practical passages in the Bible about uh, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And this is the passage on the screen. I hope it's going to come. That's from Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 1 to 3. Hebrews 12 from verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the rest marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's just have a moment of silence. Father, I join your church locally here in the KV in one of their favorite prayers asking you what do you have to say to us through this passage as a church at this present time. And to each one of us as individuals. Thank you that you are here. And you are already speaking. Would you continue to open our ears and our heart 
that we may hear and we may receive. Help me by your spirit to communicate faithfully what you have given me. Take away whatever is not in your plan this morning and give me even what I did not prepare. But that is what you want. Come. In Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is well known. It's a, a passage that both concludes chapter 11, which is normally called uh, God's Westminster Abbey, where you have all the monument and the gallery exposed of uh, the saints of the past, the heroes of faith, people who are named in that passage and those who are not named, but also a passage which introduces Jesus as uh, the ultimate, the great hero of faith of all. There is a lot here, but I was led to focus only on that verse too, and which will bring also sort um, other things uh, around the whole passage. Because uh, in that verse too, we are encouraged as we walk through this journey of life, or using the metaphor that is there, as we are running the race marked before us, marked out for us. But in this race, as Jim preached on Sunday, we go through trials, suffering, difficulties, and we don't know what is around us, around the corner. And sometimes darkness. And we are told to turn our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, I was asking the Lord, what, what, what does it really mean for us? On a typical Baptist sermon, you got three points. But I think it's not only Baptist. We got a lot in common because Kathleen has a three point. And also listening to Jimmy had a three point. So I'm like, this is church. <laughs> and so there is this, uh, what does it imply to begin with? But also I got two invitations from this passage, which makes it three point. What does it imply? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, first of all, notice the name Jesus. It doesn't say in that passage, keeping our eyes on Christ, but on Jesus. It's the, the author and the Holy Spirit to inspire the author knows that the name of Jesus is uh, what is uh, portrayed is humanity, which means uh, 
we can look to him who walked the path of this human life. Not as one who is divine, first of all, but as a perfect example of humanity. And so we have then to gaze on him and him alone. Nothing else. That's what it implies to begin with. Gazing on him who is the perfect person or perfect man, humankind in this life. Walk this path. Now let me bring you an analogy to try to see what I was getting. This passage brought to me an experience I had in life long, long ago. I come from the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. I don't know how democratic it is, but here you go. <laughs> so I grew up, I was born in a very remote place. And I grew up a very, as a little child in a town or a village where there was no electricity. You have to go to the, ta- to, 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 to the river to get your shower, so I'll keep you all those details. Anyway, that's how I grew up. And then I moved for the search of education to a town where I met my dear wife. There, there was electricity. So I began to see, oh, this is, this is, this is marvelous. But what struck me is for the first time when I moved to the capital, I went to the capital, and I saw for the first time a tall building. I tell you, I could have been easily knocked down by a car because my eyes were like, how on earth they build this? I could gaze into that building from every angle. My eyes were off any other thing except on that. And I thought, is this is what fixing our eyes on Jesus? Now, I have also to confess that since now I am familiar with tall building, they don't do anything to me. And so maybe it's the same sense we are too familiar with the name Jesus eh, that sometimes eh, we don't really gaze. Oh, yes. In the context before us, gazing into Jesus eh, implies stripping off. Something which can be good, but also stripping off all things which are bad. So that our eyes can only be on him. Now, things which are good, they are not wrong, but sometimes when you, you keep on these things which are good, they prevent you giving your best. So I don't know what things which are good, maybe that tap into the sermon of Kathleen of the distractions. But also stripping off any sin that easily entangle us because sin, particularly sin which is unconfessed, 
tend to stick, to pull us down, to hold us and stay where we are. Or sometimes the lie of the evil, when you have already confessed the sin, but then you want to pray, and all those sins you confess, they keep coming already in your mind, and again and again, I'm so sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry, but they are confessed already. I confess myself, I get sometimes such an experience. But the false guilt you carry. Because when the Lord forgives, he forces God everything. He remembers them no more. When we strip off these things, then we can run and come on. Now, I don't know what the good thing this morning you have to strip off. What is the bad thing in your life you have to strip off? And what as a church, maybe some good things we just have to strip off. And what are the bad things? Here are the two invites. This is what it implies, but two invitations. Number one, looking our eyes or fixing our eyes on Jesus invites us to follow Jesus in the way he treaded without uh, deviating the path of faith. So we are following Jesus eh, because Jesus eh, never went like us in his path of faith. He had a steady path of faith. That's why we are told he's the perfecter, the author, and the perfecter of faith. Not only gives faith, he produced faith, but also he himself trusted his father while he walked the path of suffering. I was led to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, I put my trust in him, even him, the son of God. Now, remember, we are talking about Jesus in his humanity. He had to put his trust in his father as he went along. He knew that he alone, his father, could see him through. And one of the ways that he trusted the Lord, they trusted his father, is he prayed many a time. And in his prayer, you will hear him not my will, but your will, surrendering. Friends, if we are to see the light shine in the darkness and dispel the darkness, we need to keep trusting the Lord, fully surrendering to him. Maybe for you it is... A for the first time to say, I've been seeking to know the Lord. And today, Lord, take my life. I give completely. Or it could be, as the faith of Jesus was tested because trusting, it's, 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 it sounds simple. 
but trusting can be tested. Jesus' faith was tested, particularly in that darkest hour at the cross. You remember he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What answer did you get? Did he get? Silence and darkness. But he did not stop there to say, well, you're not responding to me, so I'm not trusting you anymore. He went and then said, look, my father, into your hand, I commit my life. When the faith is tested, when he did not get, perhaps say, he could have said, uh, he could have heard a voice from heaven, I did not forsake you, my son, I'm here. When the voice was silent, he was still to trust the Lord. That's where chapter 11 comes to mind, because chapter 11, you have these heroes of faith. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did this. But then from chapter 11, verse 35, of a sudden a turn, that even by faith, others did not get what they were longing for. One of the things for us, KV, which is important, not only us, for as a church, I will want to see healing. But sometimes the evil can creep in when you are not healed, thinking, I don't, do, do I have faith or not? Why am I not getting healed when other people have healing. So they got more faith. I don't have a faith. And you got all these questions. It doesn't mean, friends, necessarily, that having faith means getting out of trouble. But having faith also means it, you can go into the trouble and God gives you the grace to face the trouble. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, we know our God. You may throw us into this furnace of fire. We know he can help us to get out, out, to get us out of that. But even if he doesn't get us out of that, we will trust him. The second invitation and the last point by the way, how many are doing with time? Because I was told only 20 minutes or 30. <laughs> so that's fine. I'm fine. So I, he told me to rock the boat anyway. <laughs> Keeping our eyes on Jesus also invites us to have his perspective, Jesus' perspective. And Jesus' perspective in that verse, as he also was walking the path of this life, as he was running the race, he kept his eyes on the joy set before him. So for us too, keeping our eyes on Jesus is keeping the perspective of setting our and seeing the joy set before us. Now, it is not the joy that we have at the moment. It doesn't say that. Because sometimes... We are too quick to, oh, I'm enjoying it. It's good. It can be a sign of, yes, this is lovely. 
But sometimes you may not be enjoying it. You may not have the joy. But not when you face troubles. At the hub the other day, tough question these people were asking. You know, why, why, why a woman has to carry a child nine months in the womb and then the child comes out and then a few months the child passed away? That's hard. Tough question, troubles, difficulties. And, and verse 11 actually says, when you go through suffering sometimes, we don't have the joy of the moment. But the joy which is here, Jesus, even in the middle of the trouble, yes, he has the joy, but the joy he has in mind is the joy that was set before him. In other words, that joy preceded all other things. And the other things disappeared. Pale faith became pale before that joy. Now, what, 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 what does joy means? In fact, I don't want to go into detail. On the eve of his passion, before he went to the cross, he was speaking about this joy. I was reading a book uh, um, written by uh, Joe Big. Big, and the book is about living for God's glory. And he speaks about the three sorts of joy. Number one, supreme joy. Remember in uh, um, Psalm 16, verse uh, 11, it says, in your presence there is a fullness of joy. In other words, uh, when we go to the fellowship with God, there is joy there. But there is also ongoing joy which God gives us because we trust in Jesus whom we haven't yet seen physically. But Peter say we are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. This is the joy when we keep trusting the Lord. But there is a third joy which is an anticipated joy. And this is what is here in Hebrew. The anticipated joy, the joy which is eternal. And uh, can you imagine, I will never, until we see him, but uh, I can just begin to imagine what it must look for Jesus, the joy, as uh, his father was welcoming him back to heaven and say, well done, my son, good and faithful servant, you did it. And it's the same joy, friends, that is awaited for us. It's the same joy that awaits for us. One day, Kathleen, you'll hear, well done, Kathleen. Good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your Lord. Friends, the perspective of heaven and a new creation should not be taken away from our mind. Is that where we are heading? Let me say one more thing before I close. I was interested to find out, okay, Jesus had his mind on the joy, but 
at the cross, that was a hard. Yes, the joy was still far. What was he doing at the cross? Was he only praying and thinking, oh, the joy is there. But one thing that it dawned to my mind, while he was waiting for the joy, even through the suffering, particularly in the hours of darkness, he deliberately and consciously was reflecting on the word of God. Because those passages there, that like when he says, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. He did not invent it. It came from the Old Testament. Even that word, my God, my God, he did not invent it. Well, in his sovereignty, yes, because the word of God is there. But actually, he's taking it again from the Old Testament. Even that passage where I am thirsty, he's taking it from the Old Testament. Even that passage where it is finished, he's taking it from the Old Testament. In other words, the scripture, as he remembers them, gave him the strength and it filled his mind in the hours while he was waiting for the joy that was before him. And let me say, That comes back to what Captain was saying. Could it be the Lord also is calling us to sit at the feet of Jesus, soak into the word of God, to be like the psalmist say, the Lord is saying, I, the Lord, your God, open your mouth and I will fill in. Psalm 89 verse 10. Could it be this is the time we have to open our ears and our, ma- our heart and our mouth, get into the word of God, into our head, into our heart, because at the end of the day, this word of God is all about Jesus. So spending time with the word of God is a way of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Maybe we should stand at this moment. And I want to say just a few things, and uh, then uh, we, can, we can pray. Um, uh, this could be a couple of questions or a couple of statements. Number one, are you running in a straight line? Or are you wandering from one side to another? And which side is becoming more appealing to you? Let me repeat again something that was said. Is there anything good that the Lord is asking you to strip off? To lay aside? Is there anything bad, really, that the Lord is asking you to say, my daughter, my son, leave that one? Is there any sin that's becoming so easily entangling you? 
And the Lord is saying, come to me. Oh, faith. Maybe these days, one of your prayer could be like the prayer of the disciple, Lord, increase my faith. Or perhaps for you, Lord, my faith, I want to express it by surrendering it to you. You know, Jesus is the hope of the nation. It is in whom that we trust is our rock. But we call unto him again and again. Could it be that your eyes, perhaps uh, you see a Lord, but your eyes actually are still blind to see the joy that is before you. Maybe the journey is too hard now that you feel, I don't have the joy now. Doesn't matter. It's the joy that is ahead of us. And maybe you can say, open my eyes. And perhaps you can say this morning, Lord, give me the hunger for your word. And give me the thirst. I really want to eat, taste, and see that it is really good. I want to drink. And drink the living water of the word of God. Or may our eyes be fixed on Jesus. Kathleen, would you lead us into a moment of